gentlemen, welcome to the Good Roads Podcast. I am Jared LeMay, here with Thomas Barakat, and with the Good Roads Conference just two months away, what are some things people should be looking for or looking forward to, Thomas? Well, I th- Jared, I think the, the one thing I would say right now is looking forward to the speaker that we're going to be speaking with today, and that's uh, Mr. Ken Beer. All right, um, yeah. But there, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in a second. There's lots of other great things like study tours. Um, early sure. bird ends February 17th. I want to keep I want to I want to get people ready for this. Sure. I guess I guess in the last episode we talked about some of the keynote speakers, but you're right. There are study tours. There's going to be some technical briefing seminars, um, municipal delegations with provincial officials, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, plus, uh, don't forget all the good social uh, networking that we uh, gave up during the pandemic, and it's uh, it's come, it's come back uh, with a roar, I would say. And uh, that's an excellent. That's what an better excellent place to, to talk to people than at the Good Roads Conference? So definitely, definitely, and with all those exciting events happening, uh, Thomas sort of jumped the gun, so we've gotten to the most exciting part. As a little sneak peek of what you can expect from the conference this year, we have on the show Tuesday's keynote speaker, unless that gets changed, Thomas time-wise, but uh, as quite possibly one of the most experienced road safety engineers the world over, his extensive knowledge has contributed to road safety guidelines and training across Australia and internationally, which have been recognized by awards from the U.S. Institute of Transportation Engineers, hailing from the down under and 16 hours ahead of us in the future, and might I say one of the most epic mustaches I've ever seen, Ken Beer. Welcome to the Good Roads Podcast, Ken. It seems you have a lot in store for not just the conference, but with working uh, with Good Roads in general. Am I right? Yes. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me along, Jared and Thomas. Uh, I listen to the podcast uh, and uh, very much enjoy what you do. So I'm quite excited to, uh, to be part of it. Uh, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Good Roads is embarking on a, a really exciting initiative to assist municipalities uh, in practical ways to improve road safety. Uh, and that's uh, through looking uh, around the world at what best practice is uh, and where gaps sit in the uh, Canadian sort of landscape uh, in terms of the practices and processes in road safety. So um, there's been a, an identification that road safety auditing uh, is something uh, that is not done a lot in Canada or in Ontario, uh, and that might be something um, that could be integrated into processes and practices that would really help municipalities uh, bring down the amount of trauma uh, that occurs on their on their roads. Uh, so, yeah, the conference is just a wonderful opportunity to meet some practitioners, to talk about practical application of road safety, uh, the challenges that local municipalities uh, face in, in trying to address this huge uh, challenge that we're all facing. Uh, so I'm, I'm super excited to, uh, to come along. Excellent. We're, we're excited to have you. And um, it, it seems Good Roads is sort of taking the opposite approach, first the world and then Ontario, as opposed to first Ontario, then the world. So uh, we got it backwards, but we'll get it together. Um, so let's start off the podcast nice and easy. Um, you work for Safe System Solutions. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, I... Before I started Safety System Solutions about 10 years ago, uh, I worked for government uh, in Australia uh, at the state level or, or provincial level, as you uh, would uh, refer to it, uh, and in, in technical spaces, in, in the engineering of the, the roads, uh, uh, design, management, operation, 
Uh, and one of the things uh, I was very passionate about was road safety and we were embarking on uh, uh, strategies that involve Vision Zero uh, and the safe system. And one of the, I, I was very wedded to this idea that we could engineer the road environment and the vehicles and assist people uh, in making better choices out there. And all of that combined, we could uh, do some wonderful things in terms of reducing trauma. Uh, one of the things that I thought was a bit of a gap uh, out there was the translation of sort of vision statements and, and feel-good statements to practical impl implementation. Uh, and so that sort of sparked me along to get out there and try to help uh, local governments uh, and state governments and federal governments to um, to make the vision a reality uh, and that translation uh, onto the ground and what decisions will you actually make uh, and so that was uh, that was really successful and it was a real need uh, out there uh, and so <clears throat> quickly uh, brought in a lot of good uh, engineers, road designers, road safety auditors, and, and we uh, were working on hundreds of uh, individual intersections and lengths of road and redesigning them uh, and creating safer environments. But we realised pretty quickly that, you know, we're sort of only scratching the surface with the individual projects and we need, uh, we need hundreds of thousands of engineers road designers, technicians out there with skill sets uh, to be able to implement this at local levels. And so really embarked on uh, the idea that we could, we should focus some of our attention on capability and capacity building uh, in road safety engineering, uh, technical design with a, a safe system lens. Uh, and so have gone about developing a series of training courses uh, and working with different jurisdictions around the world to tailor those courses to their local circumstances uh, and deploy those. And, and it's really wonderful to see uh, through the tens of thousands of uh, engineers and technicians that we have trained that they're out there working on you know, hundreds of thousands of, of projects and teaching others. And, it, and it's a real way to spread that, um, spread that knowledge. Yeah, so we, uh, we have about uh, 35 uh, people, uh, mainly based in Australia. We have, um, we have one person in Sweden uh, and we do leverage off a lot of their um, ideas uh, and try to translate them to the practices of other uh, jurisdictions. It's always important to be, um, to be taking the principles and ideas, but then really looking at local practice and how to actually translate that to local practice. Uh, and, yeah, so we're, uh, we're really excited that uh, we were approached by Good Roads to have a chat about what, what could be done uh, and uh, what the possibilities are. And, and as I said before, I'm, I'm really excited to get to the conference and start uh, chipping away at ensuring that any training content has that local practical uh, aspect to it. Cool. And it sounds, um, based on just what you said, it sounds like it's not just a local approach. It's sort of a global approach where um, everybody has input and you, you can pick and choose what works for you based on what worked in not just other jurisdictions in your province or country, but the world over. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good point you make. The The principles uh, of road safety and, and road safety engineering uh, are sound uh, and they are um, applicable across the world. Uh, and simply the differences are those local nuances of uh, navigating around uh, different standards or guidelines that are produced or understanding community sentiment uh, and, and working out ways to, to move things and navigate them through through that. Um, and, and you get, you know, uh, climatic differences, obviously. Uh, we don't deal with snow very much uh, down here in Australia. Uh, so uh, that's those right. sort of things need to be factored in. But, but in general, you, you, you're right. You can scan the globe, uh, find wonderful initiatives, uh, and then use those uh, at, at a local municipality level or at a provincial level or at a federal level to see some wonderful outcomes. And I'm, I'm all up for, uh, for stealing other countries' ideas in road safety if they're good and they work. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, so Ken, why don't we uh, why don't we talk a bit about the, the road safety audit? So, you know, we've I've mentioned or I've I've spoken to a few people uh, when we when we had kind of started talking about this here in Ontario, and um, my understanding is our our province, like the Ministry of Transportation, they have a, a guide to road sa- for road safety audits, but a lot of the local governments uh, uh, are, ha- don't actually do them themselves. Um, I think most probably because of a, a re- lack of resources or uh, maybe expertise in-house, that sort of thing. But why don't we just start from the very beginning here? So what, like, what is a road safety audit to someone perhaps in local government who has never done this before? And why is it so important? So Thomas, the let me give you the sort of story about the way that road safety audit came about uh, and this was in the in the UK uh, and really it was a process that uh, there was new roads being built, uh, new intersections being built uh, and there was a team that would build these uh, these facilities uh, so they would design and go out and build them. Uh, and there was a crash problem existing in the UK at the time uh, and there was another team in, a, in another floor of the building uh, and their job was to go out and look at the areas that crashes were happening and, uh, and then to propose uh, interventions to try to uh, lessen the amount of crashes or the severity of the crashes that, that were happening. Uh, and, and somebody at one point twigged that they were actually going to quite a number of the fairly new roads and intersections uh, to address the crash problem. And they made the sort of logical conclusion to say, well, perhaps we could go and have a look at the designs before they're built and see if we can use our skills and our knowledge of crashes uh, to intervene before the concrete's poured or before the you know, intersection is built uh, and, and uh, minimise uh, or eliminate crashes at that location. And they, they decided to term that a road safety audit uh, and uh, they put that into, into place. And it's evolved from there to be able to be used uh, on existing roads. But the, the idea is that there is an independent set of eyes with a 
absolute safety focus uh, that look at designs of new facilities or existing intersections or roads uh, and then come up with treatments that have sort of proven benefit but are very much looked at in through the lens of that local knowledge of the area as well. So that then from the UK sort of quickly spread uh, to a number of the European countries, uh, to Australia and New Zealand that adopted it very early on. Uh, so we're talking sort of almost 30 years ago uh, now, uh, and it's progressed along. Uh, it's had tweaks along the way uh, and different improvements to the process uh, and then uh, it sort of spread to uh, most of the world uh, that uses road safety auditing in the process of design of new roads uh, in assessing existing areas of concern from a risk perspective uh, of the of the road network uh, and providing that uh, expert um as I say, lens uh, of road safety onto all of those uh, those projects. Cool. Wow. Um, so it sounds like this is um, not not just a react. Well, yeah, not just a reactive uh, solution, but proactive first and foremost. But it does have like a reactive component to um, existing roads, which um, makes it a very very useful tool. I, I see. Yeah, it, you're right there, Jared. It's um, it's quite adaptive in the sense that it can be used on a design where you're proactively trying to minimise risk. Uh, uh, it is a, a risk assessment methodology sort of in its own right, but it's got a very um, particular way that you go about that risk assessment process and, and mitigation measures. Uh, so it... it um, it's got that aspect to it. Uh, and then in the sense of if you've got a, an intersection or a length of road where you um, either have a crash history or you have a concern, uh, you know, you believe the risk is high, uh, you can go in there and, uh, and, and use the road safety audit process uh, and, and you're able to then identify possible treatments and, and move those through a process to, to see some change on the ground. Wow. And, um, I, I know a lot of our, uh, a lot of our listeners are more of a rural, um, municipal sector, um, with the versatility of this, I, I'm guessing between rural and urban roads, it, it makes no difference. That's right. The process is the same. Uh, and one of the big advantages when we work with municipalities and skill up, uh, engineers or uh, technical officers or road designers within municipalities is that they uh, learn the process uh, and then they learn some foundational building blocks. But what it then, then relies on is their sort of local knowledge of the use of that road, the use of that area. Uh, and, and so it's super applicable to rural, urban, uh, you know, big cities, small towns. It, it's, it's really fantastic from that sense because it relies 
on the skills and knowledge of people out there looking at that specific environment. It's not just taking um, a generic answer and trying to cram it into uh, whatever road environment is out there. That's awesome. That that's that seems to be what makes it so versatile is that you're not, yeah, like you're saying, it's not a one-size-fits-all type deal. It's right. uh, it, it really covers everything um, based on the knowledge of the people in the area who are assessing the situation. And uh, so, Ken, the uh, the guide that you've um, that you're developing with Good Roads, can you tell us a little bit more about that and? Um, Maybe more, maybe even like, maybe why don't we st- take a step back? Now, I could be wrong, but I was told that you played a big role um, in the development of a similar guide uh, in Australia. Uh, I think it was, and, and New- I'm not sure if it was also New Zealand, but Australia. The Austroads uh, Guide, if I'm the not Austroads mistaken. The Austroads Guide, right? I think that's what I've been, that's what I was told. Maybe we should have fact-checked that before we asked uh, Ken, but I fact-checked uh, it. Um, yeah, can you, can you tell us about the guides, the road, the road safety audit guides, Um that you've developed in the past and the one that you'll be developing with us. Yes, and I'm here to do the fact-checking. Correct, it was the Austroads Guide, uh, and I've been uh, involved in the uh, the past three updates of the Austroads <laughs> Guide with um, uh, with quite a number of other uh, professionals who sort of have wonderful expertise in, in road safety auditing, uh, and they've been doing a lot of the work there. Uh, but what we... Uh, with Good Roads has asked for us to have a look at, uh, you know, could a guide be developed uh, that would assist municipalities uh, in implementing this process and seeing some of the uh, the proven gains that we see from road safety auditing. Well, I mean, we know from US studies, from studies in Australia and New Zealand and some European studies that you can see reductions in death and serious injury sort of in the ranges of 15% to 45% uh, on projects where they are subject to a road safety audit. So we know that they're you know, really beneficial. They're, they're relatively low cost in the, in the process. There may be some, um, some infrastructure costs in recommendations, but even with all of that, if you factor it into a benefit cost ratio, uh, most of the studies out there see benefit cost ratios um, of uh, five to sort of thirty-five. I, uh, I was looking at one uh, study the other day. So you know, for every dollar invested in road safety audit and the process of implementation, we're seeing up to thirty-five dollars return. Uh, to the community in terms of savings uh, in in death and serious injury and the associated uh, damages. So the process is wonderful. Uh, it's sound. It's 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 proven. Uh, and Good Roads has asked, you know, can we develop something that's that's tailored uh, for municipalities in Ontario uh, and and takes into account some local nuances. Uh, but puts down world's best practice. And we were really excited to have the opportunity to do this because uh, in Australia and New Zealand, where I've been assisting with the guides, it's a very mature road safety audit uh, process and system. And so it's very hard to sort of change that process. It's like the the big oil tanker trying to move it. It takes a very long time to get changes in that process and practices because we've got 
um, tens of thousands of road safety auditors with processes that they follow and they're not willing right. to change. Uh, so the the opportunity to sort of start fresh and say, well, what is contemporary best practice from around <laughs> the world uh, that we can put down on, on paper here and then utilise the expertise of Good Roads uh, and your uh, different uh, colleagues and associates and people that have, uh, you know, decades of experience working on the ground in, in local municipalities, engineering and designing the roads, for them to integrate their thoughts into this guide, um, it's fantastic. So we, we've been able to put a draft together that's uh, uh, that's got that input and is now being reviewed by uh, uh, by different uh, specialists in Ontario uh, to ensure that it's got um, the best sort of local practices and understanding, uh, and that will really make the basis of, of, of future processes and practices. Uh, it'll make the, the content for technical training courses that could be rolled out, and it'll be a, a wonderful backbone for uh, a really good road safety audit processes and system uh, in Ontario. Interesting. Um so, th- so for me, this is my 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 brain kind of goes okay. So you're developing this guide, and you've developed it in other places. You're essentially giving um, local governments and governments of all different levels tools. It's a tool um, to kind of go out there and make the road safer. Um, you know, reduce fatalities, uh, uh, serious injuries, that sort of thing. You mentioned uh, um, an economic. Uh, it makes economic sense, and that and and. and I guess my question to you is, um, like, you know, you mentioned the tanker and all this. How do you actually get the go- local governments to buy into it? Like, it seemed, to me, it seems almost like it sells itself. But w- have you encountered um, instances where, you know, you, 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 the guide's there and they're like, well, you know, we're not going to do it. <laughs> we're not going to implement it. Yes. Absolutely. And you would both find this, no doubt, with anything that's new. You have your early adopters uh, and they can see the value of it. They love getting into new uh, new things uh, and they will jump on board and they will be the, um, the advocates for it. Uh, the proof will be uh, there when they start to do road safety audits and we start to uh, show case studies uh, of the success uh, and then organisations like Good Roads play a, a really important role in advocating for um, a funding stream uh, from the provincial government, uh, possibly, or other funding sources to implement some of the, the findings of the road safety audits. And as you see, municipalities um, getting funding uh, for improvements uh, to keep their community safer, other municipalities start to say, well, why aren't we doing that? Uh, And then start to to get on board. So yes, naturally we'll have some municipalities that that are slower to to get on board uh, and and that's the way with anything, Uh, but we will uh, continue to uh, push it along with with those early adopters, uh, then get the big uh, wave of municipalities uh, and then yeah maybe a few might need to be brought along uh kicking and screaming but we, we hope that's not the case <laughs> but uh uh yeah the, the the value of them is proven terrific um all right so i i know with good roads we've been doing a lot of uh a lot of work with road safety we we've 
since since I've started here, we've been discussing a lot about joint and several liability. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but um, it's been a thorn in the side of municipalities in terms of financing. And um, one of the approaches we've taken lately is that um, if we prevent these incidents from happening at all, we don't have to worry about joint and several liability in the courtroom at all. Uh, we built a course, um, Goodrose uh, Municipal Liability course. We had uh, the instructors from that on a few episodes ago. Um, so that's sort of a start. But my question is, how do we get from a road safety audit uh, to safer roads? What are the steps once we do the audit? Where do we go from there? Yeah, thanks. That's And I listened to that uh, podcast with interest uh, associated with your sort of forensic crash investigator experts who spend their time in, uh, in courts there, um, you know, in that right, legal right. process. Um, I, it always, and I've certainly done um, expert witnessing in, in, in similar ways, uh, and it always sort of concerns me that we're we're not thinking of uh, the, the you know what's the best outcome for the community. I know the legal process is complicated and it has its, its its ways of doing things, but I think you you hit the nail on the head there, Jared, with a comment you made uh, in that podcast. I, I believe it was to say something along the lines of you know the best legal case is the one you you never have. Uh, and and that's what we we're really aiming at and the question you're asking right. is is really a pertinent question because it's to say are we just adding another process to a municipality uh and there's already enough processes and and there's not enough resources yeah is this something that's worth our effort and yeah, the, the the answer there, I think, is yes, as long as uh, there's a continued um, push uh, at those other levels of government uh, to say that road safety is something that's important. It's something that can be addressed. It does need some funding. Uh, and, and so the way, the mechanisms of how you go from a road safety audit to actual lives saved um, is actually quite quite simple. Uh, so we have the uh, independent uh, sort of trained and, and qualified road safety auditor or team uh, that will look at a site. Uh, they will assess risk. Uh, they will use uh, some, some checklists and prompts that we will be providing in the road safety audit guidance uh, and, and just check that they've thought about a whole lot of different things. They will risk rate those. They will come up with then some recommendations, uh, okay? And, and, and there'll be a series of recommendations of things that could be done to lessen the risk. And as, as you'd appreciate, uh, sometimes there's a number of different things that could be done. And, and that gives then the municipality the flexibility to, to choose which they practically can do. So if there is a large uh, funding program uh, provided, there could be uh, the ability to implement more substantial infrastructure treatments. Uh, and I, you know, I was, I was super excited that you had Mark Wilson on um, uh, your podcast because, you know, he's been pushing some uh, really proven uh, road safety treatments in Northern Ontario there with the two plus one. That, that is an expensive, um, it is an expensive treatment. 
it's amazingly effective and, and just a wonderful thing. But we know that we can't, uh, in the short to medium term at least, be rolling that out on a huge amount of the network because uh, there's just not enough money out there. So the road safety audit has other recommendations that lessen the risks. Uh, and so a, a local municipality may be able to find low-cost uh, ways to significantly reduce the risk at an intersection or a length of road uh, in the interim before they may be able to get that larger injection of funding to, to do uh, the, the higher-cost infrastructure, which we know has that, uh, that, that really substantial reduction in death and serious injury. Well, I, I must say you like not only fact checking us on this episode, you've really done your homework on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I uh, I uh, get out for some long runs and uh, uh, both of your dulcet tones have been keeping me company on those long runs. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic to hear. Um, yeah. All right, well, I guess... Um, with with my limited knowledge of Australia and anything I do know stemming from one particular episode of The Simpsons, uh, <laughs> it, it's very, very um, minimal. But I have heard of Aust uh, areas in Australia called black spot zones. Uh, can you tell us, first of all, what they are and what their intentions are? It sounds like an interesting proposal for not only Canada, but Ontario specifically. Yeah, so the... Uh, the idea of a, a black spot actually also uh, originated in the UK and we've, uh, we took that uh, on quite a while back. And again, I'll give you the, the, the background story about it because I think it helps shape the understanding uh, of that. So the police uh, would go out and investigate uh, the incidents on the road network uh, back in the day uh, and they would come back to their office and they had a big map of the um, the county uh, and they had uh, pins uh, and they had uh, some uh, red pins and black pins uh, and the red pins would go on spots where there were uh, more minor collisions and the black pins would go on spots where there were fatalities, uh, people killed in the in the road crashes, uh, and then they'd simply stand back from that map and they'd look at the the clustering of uh, black spots, uh, and then would work with the engineers uh, to say, well, you know, can we re-engineer that? Uh, that intersection or that length of road or do we need to do enforcement activities or are there other interventions that that we might need to do so so the idea of a black spot is simply the name for an area that has a concentration of crashes that have occurred we've adapted that now not just to be deaths but to also be uh, serious injuries uh, as well so when you do have areas that uh, the concentrate on uh, where there's a concentration of uh, crashes, you can undertake this black spot approach, which is to really get into the details of the crashes, look for trends uh, where we might see quite a number of left turn against uh, crashes at the one location. So you're able to identify that's the source of the risk or maybe it's bicycles. There's quite a concentration of bicycle uh, riders that are involved in crashes, right turning over bikes, for example, and then you could look to implement interventions that way. 
it is a very reactive way to approach uh, road safety. And it works best in, in areas where you do have uh, really uh, dense concentrations of crashes. One of the issues we're having in most developed countries uh, now, and this is a great problem to have, by the way, is that we don't see concentrations of crashes that haven't already had treatments uh, you know, put on them. What we see a bit more of now, uh, especially in, in rural areas, is uh, individual uh, fatality sites uh, or maybe one or two uh, serious injury sites. Uh, and so just from a statistical perspective, you can't get confidence in, in that. Uh, and what we talk about there is not chasing the lightning strikes. So there is a temptation when there's been an, uh, an incident to, to invest a lot of money at that particular location. But we know that that risk uh, is, is quite systemic and, and it, it spreads across the municipality in, in like areas. Uh, and so odds on the next one will be at some other location with uh, similar characteristics. So we do take more of a, uh, um, I suppose, a holistic approach to that. Uh, but as I say, if you have an area that has a concentration of crashes, undertaking this uh, more uh, specific analysis of the crashes and the trends can often help you as a, as a road safety engineer to redesign that area to, to lessen that risk. Okay. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, because I had a, a heck of a time trying to figure this out as I was researching it a little bit. Um, do signs exist for black spot zones? I mean, to me, it sounds like an interesting idea while you're working on um, your your safety audit or implementing new measures to make this intersection or road safe, safer. It would be interesting to have like a, a black spot zone sign to alert people to the fact that this is a little bit more dangerous than somewhere else so that they can take that extra caution. Yes. Yeah, so the... There's been a number of studies around the world about the effectiveness of alerting drivers uh, or riders to areas that have higher risk. And most of them show that you don't get much, if any, success uh, out of altering drivers' behaviour uh, in that particular way. Where you do get success, though, is through implementing things like regulatory speed limit reductions at that location and you can, uh, you can, I suppose, justify that to the community with a black spot sign. So if you say, you know, if, you, if you're coming into an area, the speed limit is reduced and you have a, a, a black spot sign to say, you know, this the speed limit's been reduced, which, which they'll see just from the change, uh, because there's been a, a concentration of deaths at this location, uh, that it's it's hard for them to really argue and, and be against that speed limit reduction because the justification is so, is so obvious. And we know that the actual reducing their speeds is, is the effective proven measure. Uh, we, do, we do see uh, in Australia there is quite a, a number of uh, black spot signs out there, but they're more... Uh, there for the political parties to advertise that they invested in the infrastructure at this location to make it to make it safer. So <laughs> they, they just want to 
uh, tell the community there's a new roundabout here uh, and we paid for it. Uh, so that's why you would see that. Um, and they're usually called the federal black spot program. So Australia, Canada, it's the same the world over. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, so there, there, there's always, uh, when we talk about, uh, when we compare Canada to other countries, Australia is usually one that comes up. I, I was, I never thought it was because, you know, it, you know, the politicians are still putting the signs up. Uh, but that's definitely one, like Jared mentioned, across the board. Um, but uh, when we compare Canada and Australia, um, I think it's a good comparison because it's a big, a pretty big landmass. Uh, populations are concentrated in certain areas. Um, and then there's a lot of kind of empty space. Um, that are very sparsely populated. Um, there's also indigenous communities, uh, Aboriginal communities um, in both countries. Um, I guess a question, and then and, and this, uh, I guess I'm not sure if you've ever done work. Um, have you done work with indigenous communities or Aboriginal communities in making roads safer in those areas, or has that not is that not something that's kind of um, uh, been um, that's come up for you uh, at this point? It is something that we've uh, we've worked on, and we've had uh, some really good e success engaging with uh, indigenous communities uh, around the infrastructure that we uh, we know works. Uh, we can certainly go in and uh, propose solutions, but without that community support and understanding, uh, you, you're really not successful with these. So, uh, engaging with uh, Different communities across the board is, is always important before you implement any uh, any initiatives, uh, and getting that input early on has been uh, it's been extremely helpful. So we've seen some uh, some some really good wins there. I, I'm mainly focused on the infrastructure side of things and 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 uh, building those safe road environments, but uh, there are some really wonderful programs in Australia uh, with uh, the behavioural. Uh, change initiatives, uh, looking at safer vehicles uh, and fleets uh, in different uh, remote communities uh, and, and many other initiatives. Uh, and it's, it's funny, Thomas, you, you say the similarities between uh, Canada and Australia, and certainly I've um, uh, spent a, a good bit of time in Ontario, uh, family uh, in Ontario, uh, and, and lived uh, there in the Collingwood area for uh, a bit of time. Uh, and and certainly, I, I always uh, sort of refer to Canadians as just cold Australians. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you've, you've got the, um, the, you know, the same attitude to a lot of things. You've got your, um, you've got your three levels of government, uh, which, uh, uh, which just generates, you know, it, a lot of the same challenges and, and issues. We've got a, a huge expanse of road network, as as you do. Nobody's got enough money to maintain that. Uh, the costs of everything are going up. Uh, and uh, we've got uh, trauma mm -hmm. rates uh, per head of population or per vehicle kilometres travelled in, in sort of similar-ish ranges. Uh, and, and, and so we see a lot of, uh, a lot of similarities uh, in, in, yeah, uh, Canada uh, and Australia. So it, it's... It's kind of easy for me to uh, think about how some of this might be applied and then just validate that with your wonderful uh, people at Good Roads and, and, and the experts that you uh, reach out to to just make sure that things are, are relevant. So it, it's funny you mention um, living in Canada, specifically Collingwood, because um, during our research, we came across a story 
um, about possibly you attempting to ride down the mountain in Collingwood with the Blue Mountain mascot head or <laughs> full outfit on. I, I, I'm not quite sure the details of that. I guess my first question is, and I'm sure this is going to lead to a bunch more, but uh, how does this conform to the safe system solutions prescribed in this episode? <laughs> Well, okay, now, you, now you're proving you've done your research there. Uh, and uh, I hope that hasn't made something like uh, Canada's <laughs> home videos uh, or, or the like. Uh, the, the, the background on that one was uh, I, uh, uh, in my younger years, had, the, um, uh, had the, the job as the Blue Mountain Bear uh, up there at Blue Mountain, and my job was to... Uh, uh, dance around the village, get the photos with uh, the kids and the families, and, uh, uh, and and keep people entertained on the weekends. Uh, and and uh, many funny stories out of that one. But uh, as as you might know, during summer the, uh, the mountain is used for uh, mountain bike riding. Uh, and uh, during a, a little bit of quieter time, I went up the uh, chairlift uh, with a group, and and one of them suggested uh, in my big. Uh, mascot costume that I uh, that I ride down on their on their bike, and I thought, oh, that sounds uh, that sounds uh, good, and it'll be entertaining for for people. So I took um, I took the easiest run uh, the uh, available, and I I got on their bike and slowly went down, and and it, it flattens out uh, on the approach to the the chairlift line, uh, and I thought I'll get up a bit of speed and I'll do a skid. Uh, and, you know, entertain the crowd. So I'm there with my massive head and my massive paws and this big outfit, and I get up some speed and I hit the brakes. But there's a little a little trick here. In, in Australia, uh, the back brake is the left brake on a bike uh, and the front brake is the right brake. So uh, I naturally slammed on the left brake as hard as oh, I could. No. And, well, next thing I remember uh, was uh, sitting up the, uh, the chairlift crowd of 100 pe- uh, mountain bike riders cheering uh, and uh, me trying to scramble to find my head uh, and uh, uh, my arm and then get, uh, get somebody's mangled bike back to them. <laughs> but uh, it, the, uh, the safe element to it was, though, that the uh, head is built around a helmet. So I, uh, I was wearing a helmet as I came down the mountain. Thank God for that, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, you, so you, you did all that and you lived to tell the tale and then devoted your life to safety. I, I see this all kind of comes together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose actually, Thomas, the, um, the, the part to sort of bring that uh, back is that we, we know uh, in our younger years we've all done, uh, uh, done some, some risk-taking things uh, and we see that play out on the roads as well. Uh, and uh, what we're trying to do is create a, a holistic system with the infrastructure, the speeds, uh, the people and, and, the, uh, and the vehicles uh, that accepts that humans make mistakes and things will happen. Uh, but they shouldn't result in people being killed or seriously injured. So, um, yeah, so there you go, linking that one directly back to road safety for you. <laughs> yes, not not being killed for mistakes, just uh, getting tossed down a mountain, apparently. <laughs> um, but no, that's, that's an absolutely incredible story and uh, honestly, probably a good spot to begin wrapping up. But uh, before we do, is there anything you want to leave our viewers with before you speak at the conference this year? 
Well, one of the things I would like uh, at the conference is to talk to uh, lots of local practitioners uh, about their particular um, sites uh, and areas of concern. I I really want to avoid sort of uh, high-level vision-style statements where we have our local practitioners walk out and think, well, that's that's all great and I agree with all of that, but, but I've got an intersection here that hasn't, I've got concerns on and I want some actual solutions. So I really encourage anybody out there that's coming along to the conference to to bring along some some ideas and some thoughts around some specifics and have a chat with me. I'll buy you a beer and we'll we'll sit down and uh, and we'll, we'll talk that through in, in the specifics. And uh, anybody who is is not coming along to the, the conference, I suggest uh, you you reconsider that um, and and do uh, you know. Get, Get yourself a ticket. Come along, and uh, we can talk some real specifics about your your local road network and how to make it safer. All right, that's awesome. You heard him, everybody. Uh, grab a ticket for the conference and uh, come out and uh, corner Ken. Get him talking about uh, how to make your roads safer. Um, so, if you want to hear more about that, join us February sixteenth. It's not February. We're in. April. April. April 16th to 19th. I wrote that down wrong. Force <laughs> a habit. Uh, join us April 16th to 19th at the Good Roads Conference, where Ken will be discussing safer roads, road safety audits, and a lot of other road safety measures that Good Roads will be attempting to implement in the future. Further to Ken, there will be a whole host of other awesome and interesting events at this year's conference, from our now sold-out trade show to a handful of incredibly exciting study tours, which I hope to be able to provide a preview of one at the end of February for everybody. So stay tuned on our YouTube channel for that. Uh, to get all the information on the goings-on of the conference or to register for the conference or study tours, please visit goodroads.ca conference. Early bird rates end February 17th, so get on that. And uh, you must be registered for the conference to take part in the study tours. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram for up-to-date information on everything happening at Good Roads. And if you're watching this on YouTube, give it a give the video a thumbs up. Uh, remember to subscribe because it's not just the podcast that goes up here. We offer a ton of great content to help you run your municipality as efficiently as possible. Also, leave a comment and give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Ken, let us know. We'd be glad to pass them on. And uh, until next time, everybody, take it easy. Bye.